I will be reading from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now there's a, there's been a, a big deal at the movie theaters here over the, the Christmas holidays because the very last Star Wars came out. Um, how many of you have seen it? Okay. How many of you are fans of Star Wars? You'll see it at some point in time. How many of you do not care at all whatsoever? Okay. Now, there's, there's plenty of you. Okay. So I, I'm not going to give a spoiler. Okay. I'm not going to spoil stuff. I'm going to speak in very, very broad in broad strokes here. But basically, I remember the, well, I don't, I, my parents tell me that they took me to the first Star Wars movie that came out is in 1978, correct? And so that was at a time where I didn't remember much was going on at all. Um, and maybe I was there, I, I don't remember. My parents said they went to a drive-in movie theater, which you don't see those around either. But I grew up watching those movies when they came out. And we'd either go to the theater or you'd get it and, and, uh, and rent it on a, on a VHS tape and, and those type of things. But I remember watching those and my parents telling me, okay, Chris, this isn't real. There's some concepts in here that aren't spiritual or aren't godly and all that. Understand that. And so, but one of the things that I noticed throughout all of this, and a lot of this came through talking with, with people who were Star Wars junkies that explained some of these things to me as well as we went along. But in broad strokes, basically what it boils down to is this. There is, the evil empire that is has some, some people that are Sith Lords. Is that what they're called? Did I get that right? They're Sith Lords? Okay, good. Good. We got it right. Okay, good. Thanks, Asher. Okay, I'm going to keep asking you here, and you keep me on track, all right? And so the Sith Lords kind of control what goes on with this great evil empire. And, and there is a, the evil empire, even though it's made up of a lot of people, they just mindlessly do what they're told, and they, they go about their ways. But there's a few people from the Rebel Alliance that use the force for good. And they overcome great obstacles, and they may or may not win in the end. You have to go watch the movie to see for yourself. But one of the things I noticed, and one of the things I realized from, uh, from people telling me and from watching this, is the Sith Lords, there's, you, you watch them, like Darth Vader. How much you, you watch Darth Vader as a kid. I remember seeing Darth Vader. There was nothing about that guy that said, warm, cuddly, gentle dude. You know, there's nothing there at all. And he's a scary guy. You can't see his face. The Emperor was even worse because you could see his face. And it was just, yeah. And, and it just kind of continued on that way. But something that I, it appeared to me as I went along watching Star Wars as it came out is that these Sith Lords, the evil empire, continued to take the easy path. The way around obstacles, whatever they could do in order to, to not do what was right, they did whatever was easiest. And 
And there is uh, plenty of examples that we've seen in the book of Luke for people who, who just took the easy path. I think we've seen some here in the last little while. And I wrote some of them down. You think about the, the rich man and Lazarus. He walked by Lazarus. He didn't help. He did his thing. He was partying it up every day. Life was good. There was no reason for him to help Lazarus that was there beside him. Or the rich young ruler that we talked about last week who came to Jesus and said, Hey, what am I supposed to do? And uh, Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he listed off several of them, and he says, I've kept those since I was a boy. And Jesus, knowing his heart, said, there's one thing that you lack, go everything, go sell everything, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy walks away, because Jesus hit him right in the heart, because he knew, deep down, his money and his finances and his wealth was, was where all of his security was. It was not with God. And we see examples of that. How many times do we see... Pharisees, the people that are supposed to be the religious leaders, just disappointing us and disappointing Jesus in the book of Luke. We see the, the parable that Jesus tells of the tax collector that is there that's praying, who is, would have been seen as someone who is, who is not above board in his business dealings. And then you have the Pharisee that's supposed to be the religious leader saying, thank the Lord I'm not like that guy over there. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not righteousness. Righteousness in your own eyes is not righteousness at all. In all of those, we see them taking the easy path, going around. Instead of saying, what can I do in order to follow God, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter what I may have to give up, I'm going to follow the Lord. They, they're willing to follow Jesus or follow God up to a certain point until things get uncomfortable, and then they tend to respond with, ooh, I'm not sure about that. I think I'm going to, to bail or I'm going to... to to try to disappear here at that point in time. So we're going to look at some great examples today. Here we are. We're getting to some examples that Jesus lays out that are phenomenal examples of, of how we are supposed to live. And you think about, from going back to the Star Wars, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of messages that we learn from there's some of those characters. But I know I grew up thinking, okay, Luke Skywalker chose to do the right thing even when it was difficult until you get to some of the last movies. Anyway, that's a, I'm not spoiling. But there was something good to that. You know, I wanted to be a smuggler when I grew up because I saw Han Solo and I thought, yeah, that's great. You know, that, no, I'm... But you see the message there is that you, you, the good path takes some sacrifice. And sometimes you feel like you're alone. Sometimes you feel like there's nobody else around. But the good path is always worth it in the end and overcoming those obstacles. And so let's look at Luke chapter 18. We'll start in verse 31. And we see, um, as Jesus, remember, from chapter 9 to 19 in Luke, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's getting close, and we're going to get to Jerusalem in chapter 19. But in chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Now, Jesus here seems to speak pretty clearly to them. That is a pretty graphic description of what's going to happen when he goes into Jerusalem, isn't it? And this is the third time in Luke that Jesus has said something like this. The first time, you go back several chapters, is when Jesus says, Who do you say I am? And Peter, after they, they talk about what everybody else said, who everybody else says Jesus is, Peter says, I believe you're the Christ of God or the Messiah of God. And Luke doesn't record this, but what happens in the other Gospels is, is the response 
of Peter as Jesus says, okay, yes, I'm the Messiah, and this is what it means to be the Messiah. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, all of that. And what Luke doesn't record is Peter steps in and says, no, 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 that's not going to happen, Lord. That is not how this works. That is not what the Messiah is supposed to be. This Messiah is going to be this great king, and that's not it. That you do, what you're describing does not fit what I understand is going to be this great, this great king. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God. And what Jesus is sharing to him there, sharing with him there in a loving way, is do not create me in your own image. Okay? What I'm going to be and what I'm going to do is not what you're going to anticipate. And so you're going to have to get your head around that. And you cannot put me as, as Jesus, your little Jesus, to do whatever you want in, in your own image. And the same type of thing happens here. Jesus gives these very specific instructions. He says, I'm going to be abused when I go to Jerusalem. There's going to be, the welcome is not going to last. I'm going to be executed. But the great news that's coming is I'm going to be raised to life. And if you follow along there in verse 34, it says, The disciples did not understand any of this, even after all this time, at least the third time that he shared this. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. And so they're really wrestling with this. Yeah, we understand that maybe the words that Jesus is saying. But they're, at this point in time, I believe, choosing to remain ignorant. Have you ever been in a situation where you probably knew the truth deep down, but you just don't want to admit it? You just don't want to, you don't want to wrestle with it because it's painful. And so as they're walking along Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, Jesus says, Hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be abused, killed, and raised. But the disciples, even though they're there looking at Jesus, they still can't see who Jesus really is. And their response is, huh? Ugh. I don't, I don't get this. This is tough. Well, let's just, uh, well, that's very nice, Jesus, as you tell us that. La, 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 what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Is how I, I, I see the disciples going along. Because what he's telling them is not what they want. They want Jesus to be able to go, to be welcomed, to teach, for, to, to unite all the Israelites and, and things to just go great and everybody live happily ever after. And Jesus is telling them, the type of kingdom that I'm bringing is going to be different and there's going to be some obstacles and they're going to be tough. The disciples are going to come back they're going to remember this later. But at this point in time, they're really having trouble seeing Jesus even though they're walking alongside him because in their minds, they haven't dialed exactly who Jesus is and what he's going to be. Let's continue on. In verse 35, it says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When Jesus heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, They're telling him, be quiet. You're this blind beggar. Don't make a big scene right here. And does that help? Oh no, he's going he's gonna to let his voice be heard right there. In verse 40 it says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And so here you have Jesus walking along, and this man must have understood, he must have heard the stories of Jesus going around healing and teaching. Maybe as this blind man is sitting by the side of the road with his container out there, 
People are coming by and he hears hushed whispers about this Jesus of Nazareth, this great teacher. And maybe someone gave him something to be able to survive and gave him some bread. And this blind man said, wait a minute, who is this Jesus that I keep hearing about? And they say, well, we don't really know much about him, but we hear he does amazing miracles. We believe he's a prophet and he teaches like nobody else we've ever heard before. And this blind man's got a lot of time to sit there and think and think about who is this Jesus? I wonder what he is all about. And boy... I wish I could walk around. I wish I could go try to find him. But here I am just begging. And uh, I, I just, I'm one of these that's, that is forgotten. And so when he hears a commotion coming and someone says, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, this guy must be thinking in his own mind, all right, this is my opportunity. This is it right now. I better start screaming and hollering because what are they going to do? Criticize me? Throw me outside of society? Beat me? What? This is my shot. I can't go and see him anywhere else, but Jesus right now is walking right beside me, so I better do something about it. And he starts screaming, Jesus, have mercy on me. And what would have been expected is just like when the children came to Jesus, that the disciples say, whoa, don't get near the teacher. He's a big shot. Stay far away is that Jesus would have walked on by and would not have acknowledged him. But do you see what happens? You can imagine as Jesus, as this crowd is, is going by, Jesus sees him, hears him, and works his way through the crowd. You notice what he says. He says, what can I do for you? Jesus is putting himself as the servant of the situation. He doesn't walk over and say, blind man, why are you screaming my name? Why are you hollering a bunch? He goes over and he says, what can I do for you? Hollering didn't bother Jesus at all. Not at all. He's wanting to, he, this guy wants to, to see who Jesus is. He wants to hear, hear him. And he says, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Faith is healing. Now, amazing. We'll come back to that another time. But this blind man, he is able to see Jesus. You notice that? That's the irony of this story, is that he is able to see Jesus spiritually. He says he calls to him as the son of David. Okay, that, that's a big deal, and we can read over that very quickly, because that doesn't happen much in the gospel. Son of David means Messiah. This blind man here is admitting things that other people aren't. They're saying, yeah, Jesus is a prophet. The closest disciples have said that he is, he is the Christ, he's the Messiah to come. But you don't see that from others. But this blind man right here, even though he cannot see physically, he sees exactly who Jesus is. He knows exactly who he is. He is the son of David and he calls it out shamelessly. And so because of his faith, Jesus says, you're healed. And he's able to see and he gets up and he goes along as he is, uh, heals him. And it reminds me of the verse here, if we go back a few chapters Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children, or people that are blind in this case, those that are outside the society, those are the margins. And again, Jesus does not pass up those that the rest of the society would pass up. And this man jumps up and it says the crowd is excited. And it becomes quite a crowd, apparently, as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, he's he is uh, at Jericho, or just going into Jericho, which is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem, downhill. Now, Jesus is uh, coming into this, the, the, one of the big cities that is nearby, and there's a crowd that is traveling with him as he is about to arrive to Jerusalem. Let's continue on. Next story, verse 19, or chapter 19. It says, 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Okay, there's a few things that we can note about Zacchaeus already here. It's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, if you've been reading through the book of Luke and you've been hearing the message of Jesus preaching, you understand that Zacchaeus has some obstacles to be able to really see Jesus here. He is not only a tax collector, but what kind of tax collector? He is the chief tax collector. He is the big shot that the rest of the tax collectors work for. So if you are a Jewish person in Jesus' day, you look at this guy and think, oh man, maybe I can tolerate someone like Levi, Matthew, that is following Jesus and part of his 12 apostles right now. But this guy is the chief of all of them. This guy is really bad. He is... He is the scum of the earth. This is an awful, awful guy here. And that's going to be the perception anyway. Whether it's real or not, whether it's justified or not, that's going to be the perception. So one big strike right there. Here's the second strike. If you've been listening to Jesus, and you've been listening to the messages that he gives, he's not going to tell you. If you are wealthy, it is because God has done something great for you because of of your goodness. And if you're poor, or if you're blind, or you're crippled, and you're on the side of the road, it's because either you have sinned, or your parents have sinned. That was the common perception of the day. But if they're following Jesus, they're realizing that's not what he's saying. Jesus is going out of his way to help people that are on the margins of society. And the people that come, that are wealthy, and come talk to Jesus, oftentimes, unless they really want to be convicted, they wish they hadn't come and talked with him. Jesus says things like, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He's, he, he does stuff like the rich young ruler that comes up. And this guy, that is so, there's, he's good. There's so much good to him. And Jesus says, go sell everything. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy walks away. And so if you're a person that has money, you tended, by this point in time, probably to keep Jesus at a distance because you didn't know what he was going to say to you because his perspective was so different than what you had grown up with. And just think about that. If you'd grown up thinking, boy, God has given me a lot of financial resources, therefore it's because I've done some really good stuff in my life. And, uh, and, and look at me, look at how amazing this is. So there's two strikes against Zacchaeus here. But there's a third strike against Zacchaeus. What is it? Why can't he see Jesus? Because he is short. Okay? I've not struggled with this myself. Okay? Landon's even taller than myself. Um, Tim isn't here this morning. He's taller. Is Tim taller than you, Landon? Tim's taller than both of us. Yeah. Okay. And so I remember, I've been in big crowds before. I remember in the year 2000 when uh, Y2K was supposed to happen and all the computers were supposed to stop. I figured I was going to go down and blaze. I was downtown Rome, Italy with a group of about 100,000 people in the Square of the People or Piazza del Popolo for a concert. And I remember there was this the girl I'd met named Sylvia that was hanging out with me and another guy and you know, got to know her better as we went along. But we weren't dating, we were just friends at that point in time. But I remember being able to be there and both of them were quite a bit shorter than me. But I could look over and I could say, all right, we need to go this direction. And so they'd hang onto my jacket and I just led us through because I could see over everybody. Zacchaeus does not have that Zacchaeus is one, he's in there in this crowd, and he can't see what's going on. 
He cannot see what's happening. He can't see. He just hears everybody chanting. He sees people are being excited as they're bringing Jesus down this road into Jericho. And he thinks, oh man, I've got to do something about this. And I've got to be able to see Jesus. Um, What would you think if you were going down a road and a government official, there's people everywhere, and the government official or the principal of the high school or someone that is very prominent in our society climbed up the trees so they could see what was going on. We'd probably chuckle a bit. We'd laugh. We'd think, that's not what I expected, him to climb that tree. But Zacchaeus does exactly that. He goes up and he climbs this tree. And so this here's a guy that has three big strikes against him here. Chief tax collector, he's wealthy, short, can't see what's going on. And let's see what, continue, what happens after this. In verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. How many of you have sang the Zacchaeus song? Oh, yeah, I learned that when I was a kid. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And so Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He's got a plan. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So these people that are traveling with Jesus, think about this. There's all of these, these people there in Jericho, the people that are traveling with Jesus. They're fickle. They're excited at times. Look at the amazing things that Jesus is doing. But then, oh man, he's going to go eat with this tent sinner. Oh, he eats with this guy. I'm not, I'm not sure about that because if he's going over to eat with him, that must mean he approves of the things that he does. Boy, we're going to mutter. As a crowd, that's what we do. We mutter. In verse 8 it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And so Zacchaeus really sees Jesus, doesn't he? Even though he has these obstacles that would seem like great obstacles to be able to see Jesus. He sees Jesus. And it doesn't say this specifically, but it's implied that Zacchaeus repents and says, I will give right now half of what I have to the poor. It's really different than the people, some of the people that have come to Jesus so far, isn't it? Because people have, have wrestled with, uh, with some of the, the responses that Jesus has given. But Zacchaeus, you can imagine this house party he's having. People are there. There's, uh, there's some people that are really tense, not sure they're liking what's going on here. There's other people that are really excited about what is uh, the fact that Jesus, a Jewish teacher, would come to the house of, of someone like Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus must have been going through his mind right here thinking, wow, this is what I need. This is it. The reason I climbed this tree, because I've heard all about Jesus. I've heard who he is, I heard he's coming, and I did not want to miss out on it. So I was willing to come up, climb up in that tree and have people look at me funny because I wanted to see what this guy's all about. I wanted to see him. And now that he's in my house, he is much better than I ever expected. He's kind, he's gentle. He's sharing, allowing me to share with him when I never expected he would... Uh, ever set foot near my house, and ever dreamed something like this would happen. And I know how that makes me feel. I know how it's changed my heart. And this is a guy that I really want to follow. This is a guy that I'm willing to give everything for to follow. 
And I think it starts with me right now saying, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and I have so much more than I ever need. I'm going to give half to the poor, and maybe I'm just going to hire somebody to go around and find those people in Jericho that are blind and find these people that, are, that can't walk, and I'm going to just hire that person to go out and just give them bread every day. And, and maybe I'm going to find ways to house some of them. With half of my income, I'm going to do that. Because, you know, I can't take any of this with me. I can't. But what I'm seeing from Jesus right now is something I don't want to let go of. I'm going to chase this. And I'm excited about what I get to give and what I get to bless. Do you get the impression? I appreciate what Landon said here. I never thought about as as an accountant. He's never seen a cheerful giver when it comes to tax time. Good, yeah. Interesting thing to consider. Do you get the impression that Zacchaeus is cheerful right here? Absolutely, he's cheerful. He is excited. He says, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Do you think Zacchaeus is one that is going to miss what he gives? Does God really have his heart, or do riches really have his heart? We see from here that God really, really has his heart. And he says, I will pay back four times the amount of if I've cheated anybody. What he's doing is he's going back to Exodus 22, verse 1, where it says, if you have, in the old law, stolen or cheated somebody out of a sheep, is, is this ratio, then you must give back four sheep. So don't cheat people. So Zacchaeus, he, said, he, he understands this. He knows this. And... Apparently, he's willing to say, I will go back and I'm going to make things right. No matter how costly it might be for me, no matter what that means, I'm going to do what is right because ultimately I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do here at this point. And this section closes with uh, Jesus saying, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's a scripture that I memorized long ago. We memorized it in our house. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's really Jesus' point in all of this. Is he found among this man of Jericho that was prominent, that was wealthy, that was willing to climb up a tree and maybe look like a fool in front of everybody to follow him? Jesus saw something in his heart, said, this this guy doesn't fit the profile, but I see something deep inside him. And I've come to seek and save the lost. And do you think Zacchaeus, after this day, do you think he dedicated his life, to seek and save the lost in some form or fashion. You can imagine, as, as people are coming through, Zacchaeus is managing all these tax collectors. Zacchaeus goes around and says, okay, be fair. Be fair. We're going to do this right. This is, we, we need to collect taxes. That's our job. But we're going to be fair. We're going to do it right. And if you don't do that, you're going to have issues with me. But Zacchaeus, this is what I got into this job for, to make a lot of money. That's not how we do things in Jericho. That's not how it's going to happen here. And do you think that some of the tax collectors that worked for Zacchaeus maybe became Christians because they saw something different in him? Who knows what happened here? But from what we saw from the heart of Zacchaeus, God used him, I'm confident, for the rest of his life to do amazing things from that point on. So the question is, we've got some, let me read a few of these here. There's a lot of people who can't see Jesus in the book of Luke. Oftentimes the religious leaders, the Pharisees, 
When he went home to his home synagogue in Nazareth, they couldn't see him. They couldn't see who he was. We see uh, sometimes people who are wealthy, sometimes Jesus' own disciples can't see who he is. But there's people that can see Jesus. The children can see Jesus. The Gentile Roman centurion can see who Jesus is. Just heal from distance. It's fine. You don't need to come to my doorstep. I give orders and it's carried out. And I know that you can give orders and they're carried out. Don't worry about coming to my house. I know who you are. We see the blind, the lame, can see Jesus. We see here that Zacchaeus is one who can see Jesus. He can see Jesus for exactly who he is. And so we've got to ask ourselves, how, does, how do we see Jesus? Okay, something you can do. This is something that I found that was neat this week. I got a kick out of it. Kids, all right, this is for you especially. But adults, if you want to have fun, you can do this as well. Okay, you see this image behind me here. There's four dots right there in the middle of it. I should have focus on those four dots. And I'm going to keep talking. And you just focus on those four dots, and I'll give you instructions here after about 30 seconds. So if we're going to be people who see Jesus in our life, and remember, take a time out for a second. Many of these people that could not see Jesus in the book of Luke are people that couldn't see Jesus because they thought they were just fine. They thought they were religious, they thought they were holy in themselves, and that they were Jews, they, they came from the right place, they had all that. They didn't, you know, they didn't need Jesus, we're good. But seeing Jesus starts with admitting that we can't see on our own. We are or we're lost. That's where it all starts. Okay, if you're looking at the four dots, close your eyes and look up at the ceiling with your eyes closed. Got to close your eyes, look up. You see it? Okay, there you are. You've seen Jesus. That's it, right? That's how it works. Just kind of a fun thing, all right? So seeing Jesus means admitting that we can't see on our own. How many of you have ever been to Lewis and Clark Caverns, just down the road here? Have you ever been on a tour where they turn the lights off? That's scary, isn't it? Because you think, man, I can't, what if I walk around here? This is, this is spooky. So none of us would walk through Lewis and Clark Caverns without the lights on or without a flashlight, something like that. But in life, what happens is Satan is there saying, Hey, you're good. You're fine. You don't need anything. You just go on about your way. Whatever you got, you don't need God. Just serve self. Whatever you want to do, the easy way at any given moment, that's what you should do and that's what you should, you should pursue. But Jesus is there saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. There's obstacles in life that you know nothing about and God has created you to be connected with your Creator and step with your Creator. And so what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you, I'm going to be this flashlight as you walk through the cave. And so I'm going to, you need to walk where I tell you to. You have to walk where you see the light. And that's what what Jesus tells us. And he says, and seeing Jesus also includes seeing the spiritual obstacles that we have to overcome. And it's amazing when you look back here the last weeks, just the last weeks that we've, we've seen in the book of Luke, Riches, from a spiritual perspective, we've got to see those as a potential obstacle. Something that can make us confident in ourselves and we, uh, we, we lose the, uh, the desire to follow God. Uh, we can, spiritual obstacles can be pride. Uh, just, I'm going to do my thing and, and that's it. 
we're making Jesus in our own image, which is what the temptation of the disciples were. Is we want Jesus to be this. We want him to be this great military leader. And it would have taken them down a the wrong road eventually. Self-sufficiency, whatever all those things are. And I talk, told you last week, think about what is that one thing for you that you can think of, that great spiritual obstacle. And remember, Jesus is that flashlight that is helping us walk along, saying these are these spiritual obstacles that you want to be careful of. Don't get tripped up on those. And then, seeing Jesus means choosing to walk by faith and overcome those obstacles day in, day out. And realize that if uh, you've been a Christian for 30 years, that hopefully 